Hello and welcome to the Rice's Stroll Review Podcast. My name is Eddie Plout, your host and podcast director, and today we have another member of the Honors Thesis Program, Hannah Tyler of Love It College, College, senior history major, doing her Honors Thesis on Erich Mielke, the the head of the Stasi, which is the East German Intelligence Service. So could you kind of give a brief overview of why Milka is uh, an interesting and important figure in history? Maybe a little background information for our listeners on the GDR and the Stasi in general. Well, he's super important because he is sort of the mold of intelligence chiefs that many modern intelligence chiefs follow. He ran the most pervasive intelligence service in the world to this day, basically, and many of the intelligence services in like the Middle East are molded after his like in Syria they went to training for the GD- in the GDR to like learn their methods he is also super important because he sort of symbolizes how the GDR operated they operate based on fear and suppression and he sort of symbolizes that method of operation so For background, the GDR is the German Democratic Republic, and um, they were the communist side of Germany. Just sort of a general discussion of your own interest in history, where do you tend to study and find yourself? What subjects do you generally drawn to? Is German history really like your forte, or where where is your main interest in history? Not at all. Um, I usually tend towards the Middle East. Most of the classes that I've taken here are on the Middle East. And I took, while I was abroad, two or three classes on European history in general, because that's what they offer in Europe. They don't really offer anything other than European history. But that was really my first exposure to, I would say, college-level courses on European history because... Was abroad. Yeah. Wow. So like last semester, um, because I really wanted to sort of get away from the history that I had learned in high school, because in high school, there's really no focus on anything other than like the U.S. and Europe, especially with like world history AP. There's not a ton of stuff about things other than Europe. U.S. history is obviously focused on Europe and I took a class on the Middle East my senior year and I was super interested in that. Um, And then when I went abroad, I sort of came back to European history because the classes that I took were super interesting. And like I said, I wrote a play about Erich Mielke my first semester of my junior year because I was sort of casting around desperately for something to write about. And I was like, it's easy to write a historical play because some of the dialogue is already done for you. is that how it works when you're writing the historical plays? You, you'll you'll pull in show tunes of your own and then throw in a line of theirs? Yes, literally. <laughs> like, I checked out some of the books that I have in my Foundry and Locker right now, and I was reading them in concurrence with, like, you know, to get historical background on who mm-hmm. he was, and then there would be, like, little snippets where they'd be like, this is probably how the conversation between Erich Mirke and, like, this person went. And I'd be like, great. And I'd, like, type up a page and be like, that's a page that I don't have to write myself. Can you imagine how horrible, like, 
a Lynn Manuel Miranda version of Eric Milka's life, like a Hamilton esque, like Stasi play would be. We'll see, but that's the thing. Like <laughs> when we talked to Bowles about it, like he's like Alexander Hamilton was not a good guy. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously not as bad as Eric Milka. Like he's yeah. literally terrible, but still, like I can imagine him taking it and being like. Oh, you know, he, like, did some good things. Like, here, let's write, like, a fun little ditty uh-huh. about his time in the USSR. Like, <laughs> some kind of, like, underlying Russian music themes. Uh-huh. It would be fun. <laughs> Probably not advisable, but I would oh, go yeah. see it. A little bit revisionist, but it would be, I think it would be fun. <laughs> Are there any classes at Rice, then, that you think would have been very useful to study the sort of German history you're doing now? I know that Dr. Caldwell offers mm-hmm. is, is beginning to offer more and more German history since he just finished publishing his book. Right. Do you think that you'd wish you'd taken that class going into this paper, or do you think it's it doesn't really matter at this point since you've done? I mean, so it much totally would have been helpful to take classes with him because I asked him to be my thesis advisor before I'd ever taken a class with him. He, like, I emailed him while I was abroad, and we had never met face to face, and. It would have been helpful to know sort of his style of teaching because mm-hmm. even though he's not like my teacher for thesis, like it's still important to know like his style. What of... is the dynamic going to be like? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he I mean, he's teaching next semester German history, I think, like from 1945 to 1990 or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah. Or like I after so. 1945. World something War II like that. to the end of the GDR. Yeah. Um, and that would have been super helpful because <laughs> I really had... I mean, I had read some books on it before, just, like, out of interest, but I had no real, like, historical background in the topic. And so a lot of, like, my first meetings with Caldwell were just him trying to give me historical background and me sort of casting around in the dark and being like, okay, like, I know this part. and Because I had focused primarily in the summer on reading books about him and so that doesn't always give you the context for like the larger German history yeah, I like, totally get that yeah that's actually, that was my summer exactly because I didn't know my subject at right. all so I spent the whole summer reading just like historical context because it's like even if you know information you don't have the same context so it's like you're not even speaking the same language mm-hmm. with your advisor they'll talk about an idea and you'll be like dude I like I don't know. <laughs> that was exactly what, like, my first meetings with Caldwell, he would bring up some sort of point, and I'd be like, mm-hmm, I know that. <laughs> and I would just, like, try to look like I knew what I was talking about. And it's hard to, it's hard to, it's frustrating to participate, too, because, you yeah. know, it's like, you're like, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to make my own points if I can't even understand mm-hmm. these. Okay, so for your research itself, what sorts of primary sources are you looking at? Does uh, Eric Milka have a lot of uh, journals? Does he have correspondence that you're looking at, or is it mostly like historian retellings? And a lot of it is historian retellings. The one mm. really good thing about writing about the GDR is that there, are, like, are a ton of documents, right? So there's literally an entire organization called the BSTU, BTSU. Don't remember which one. One of the two. Um, that's dedicated to preserving documents from like East Germany and by virtue of the fact that the Stasi was kind of his operation, a lot of those documents will be about him, will mention him, will give me insight into how the Stasi ran. So he doesn't have... There's a journal of his somewhere out there that, like, a couple of 
his biographers have quoted, I haven't been able to actually find it anywhere. He has, I think, like, the one thing I have that he was responsible for making was he has, like, a photo album. Hmm. that I haven't used yet, but I really want to. Like scrapbooking murders or something? Not murders, but scrapbooking. I think he scrapbooked, like, the building of the Berlin Wall, you know, like, uh-huh. big moments in the GDR. It's it's a very weird... Like him and his pals at yeah, exactly. the Berlin Wall. Like a super weird <laughs> historical artifact. Um, and then, like, at the end, I'm doing... My last chapter is sort of going to weave together how he controlled the media and how that sort of went astray at the end of the GDR. And from the end of the GDR and when he was um, on trial and, like, in prison slash an old folks' home, there's, like, an this super long interview with him, which is an amazing primary source and what I think most of the last chapter is going to mm-hmm. focus on. And I imagine very, like, insightful into the way it – Yes. Like, last thoughts and the way he was really thinking of everything – the whole time. And I know you've mentioned that he he does not have regrets. No, he does not. Right. Well, that says a lot about him. So I imagine, as you've mentioned in class, you're working basically exclusively in German with these primary mm-hmm. primary sources. Has your Do you think your German has improved in doing this? Or do you think it's a, just a different flavor of German because it's like German 60 years ago? Um, luckily, it's not German like 400 years ago because <laughs> that would have been super different German and I would have had to learn how to read that kind of German. Mm -hmm. It's definitely very dense, especially a lot of the historical articles are like very dense. But I learned how to do that while I was in Austria because I was taking classes where we were reading like journal articles in German. Were all your classes in German? Not all of them. There was one class that was my like internship class was in English, um, but that wasn't really a real class. I took three classes at the University of Vienna and all of those were in German. And then I took like a German grammar class at my program. So most of my real classes were in German and I really wanted to make an effort to make my German writing better because I can speak pretty well. But my reading and writing are all skills that I really wanted to improve and that I couldn't really improve here Mm -hmm. because the 400 level professors here are more concerned with sort of class discussion than they are with like editing essays and the mechanics of writing. And that was something that I really wanted to focus on. But I've definitely gotten better at reading German and I've gotten better at the skill that you have to have when you read stuff in English for history, which is like skimming and picking mm-hmm. out the important parts, which is not really a skill I had before the semester. I never thought about that, that when you're doing – I guess I take that for granted. Yeah. Because really when you're working in another language, I imagine so much of your brain power is focused on like retaining every word and yeah. trying to piece together every word as opposed to English where you can look at a page and probably pick two important quotes from it. Just right. By looking at exactly. Yeah. I think one thing that – is pretty interesting that you discussed when right at the start of the program about your thesis was that you're not – well, you are making arguments throughout and offering your own perspectives on Milka throughout. In many ways, this is really the first English language biography mm-hmm. of Milka. Does that mean the secondary source work you are looking at and getting insights from is all in German and you're really the first – English speaker to be making arguments on Milka? Or is it is there a lot of historiography surrounding the Stasi and Milka in English already? No, there is not. So there's a lot of stuff in English on the Stasi because people are super interested in the Stasi 
how much information they collected, how like pervasive their network, their spy network was. But there's really nothing long about Erich Mielke. There's like when I was writing my proposal, I said that there are like 20 to 30 page parts of books. Like there's one English language quote unquote biography that I'm using, but it's about the Stasi in general. And there's one like 30 page chapter about Mirke. It's also incredibly biased and like not a like anti-communist or. Yeah, it's yeah. written by a guy named John Kohler, who was an advisor to Ronald Reagan, and he escaped mm-hmm. a communist country. So he hates communists, yeah, which fair. like makes sense, mm-hmm. but is not a super good way to write history. And so there's a couple of not very good English journal articles about him, but they're like 20 pages. And like I said, it's all really him in the context of the Stasi and nothing focused on him specifically. There are big, big biographies in German, but there's no extant biography that I know of of him in English. So it's been that was sort of a niche that I really wanted to fill because I think that he's super important and I think that he's important to people who don't read or can't understand German. Has that been difficult, That though, because you're so on your own, really, in making arguments in English? I mean, obviously, I the, the work in German is much more developed. The mm-hmm. study of Milka and the discussions about his life in the Stasi are probably much more developed, even than the Stasi discussions are in English. Mm-hmm. Does that, is it still difficult, though, to, like, be making ideas and compiling a story about this guy that really has not been compiled the same way? In some ways, it's kind of nice because I feel like I don't really have to worry about stepping on anyone's toes. And I don't feel like I have to worry about checking through like every biography about Mm -hmm. him and being like, oh, my God, have they made the same argument that I did? Are they making the same points? Is my argument unoriginal? I mean, I have to do that with German sources, right? And that's also kind of nice because a lot of the things that exist about him are like sort of straight biographies. So they like tell the facts of his life and don't really go into like his psychology or anything like that. So you're not going to cross up an argument. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's hard in some ways because I can't just go to a book and be like, ah, yes, here's like the English version of the argument that I'm making and I can pull quotes from this. But in a way, it's also I feel like I'm sort of carving out my own little part of the field, which is really nice and kind of like liberating. It is very cool. How do you plan on structuring your thesis? Overall. Overall. Um, And this can be as general as you'd like. I know you you probably have outline in mind, but this is not we're not here to grill. So (laughs) as general an outline as you want to provide. I mean, I actually have pretty much a super detailed outline already. Oh yeah, that's right. You did yours. Yeah. I'm I'm very I actually didn't use to outline my papers at all. This is like the first year that I've used outlines for my papers, which is kind of embarrassing, but it's been super helpful in like actually putting a paper of this length together and like remembering where I'm sourcing stuff from. The first chapter is about the first chapter is the one that I've written already is the one about his like early childhood, adolescence, young adulthood, and sort of focuses on how he became the person that he ended up being. So a lot of stuff about his psychology and 
the early events in his life that you can see the echoes of later on in his life. So he murdered two people. What does that do to a person? Like he was in Moscow for two or three years learning about communism, claims to have met Stalin. What does that do to a person? What kind of effect does that have on him running his intelligence network, right? Because he never really decouples himself from Russia. He never gets out of gets out from under the shadow of the KGB. And then the second chapter, I was gonna write six chapters, and now I'm down to three, which is great. <laughs> so the second chapter is sort of, I call it, like my slang for it is the mega GDR chapter. So just like everything that he did in the GDR. And that's sort of the hardest to organize because the first chapter I organized just chronologically. Mm -hmm. And that was the most logical way to organize it and also the easiest to read, easiest to write. With the GDR chapter, it's harder to do that because I have to incorporate his biography with sort of a historical discussion of the Stasi. Mm -hmm. And so weaving those two threads together is a lot less conducive to just straight chronological retelling. Because um, you have to hit the themes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I I wrote an outline already, but I have to reorganize it because I'm going to focus around two like big years at the beginning. So 1953 was a big crisis year. 1957 was also a crisis year in the year he came to power. So I'm going to focus around those and then sort of discuss like the institution of the Stasi and sort of at the end. My plan right now, although I don't know if I'm going to stick to it, is to talk about East German doping because that uh, is a super big part of East German history and use it as a transition into – Doping in the Olympics? Yeah. In oh, yeah. in really every sport. Mm -hmm. they They are referred to as like the father of doping, mm -hmm. like – People say that they invented sports doping, and the I mean, reason you see some of the athletes like you I know. Believe it. <laughs> well, and they some of the athletes knew that they were being doped, but some didn't, mm. which is wow. That's even <laughs> an intense yeah. part of their history. And so, I the reason that they doped was because they wanted the GDR to have more prominence on the international mm -hmm. stage. Like It Mil looks good. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Milke was very aware of their international image and was very aware of how sports could be used as like sort of a weapon, being like, look, we had 20 people who won at the Olympics. We're a real country, right? So that will be used, hopefully, as a transition into my last chapter, which is talking about how he related to the media in the GDR and then later on, once the GDR had fallen, how he and the leaders of the GDR became super out of touch with the people that they claimed to represent and sort of weaving the thread of media through that. Because he also was very involved and he wrote for like multiple communist newspapers. He was very aware of how to manipulate the media, clearly, when he, he was semi-responsible for like the program of East German doping. So, mm. Well, uh, sort of to wrap up, one question that we've posed to each of our honors thesis guests on the podcast so far is what this paper means to you. And for you, it's, in, it's even more than that. What is having worked on him now for several months, having done tons of research on his life, having to judge and assess and evaluate the decisions he made? How attached do you feel 
to Eric Milka. Do you have a, a final judgment on Milka? That's a super interesting question because it's one that Bowles is really concerned with. Mm-hmm. He really wants me to cast judgment on whether he's an evil person, whether the decisions that he made were bad. And I think it's pretty obvious <laughs> that he's not a good person, right? It's fair. Um, Caldwell is less concerned with that. And I'm also less concerned with that because I think if you tell the story right, people can judge for themselves. Like, I don't think that I have to be in the reader's ear constantly being like, he murdered someone. That's That's really not good, right? (laughs) Um, I mean, I think also because I've been researching him for such a long time and it's also, I think I read so many biographies about like people who are evil that I'm sort of, I I find it very easy to separate myself from him and not be stunned by the terrible things that he did or, like, think a lot about the torture, which is probably an easier way to write the thesis because mm-hmm. I think if I thought about that all the time, I would just be consumed by how evil he is and not be able to think about anything else. So I had an interesting conversation with my mom, actually, because she read a biography about Alma Mahler, if you know who she is. I She's do not. the wife of Gustav Mahler and was, like, by all accounts, a pretty horrible person. And she was like, she put the book down and she was like, I don't ever want to read a book about someone this horrible again. And I was like, it's funny because I'm writing something. And you better read it. Length, right, <laughs> and you better read it. <laughs> right, about someone who's really evil. And it doesn't really bother me. So I would say I'm attached to him in like a weird way, but I don't think in like a way that excuses any of the things that he did. And I'm not super concerned with being openly judgmental because I think that if someone is smart, they'll be able to judge for themselves. Or even if someone just has basic human empathy. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's going to do it for us today. If you want to check out the Rice Historical Review podcast, you can listen to it on our SoundCloud or on our iTunes. Check out the Rice Historical Review. Our current issue is on the Rice Historical Review website, ricehistoricalreview.org. I just said Rice Historical Review like eight times in 10 (laughs) seconds. Uh, But if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow our Twitter at Rice Historical or find us on Facebook. Thanks a lot.